Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter Acts two, chapter two, verses forty-two to forty-seven. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lexi.、Um, if you don't have a Bible with you,、uh, I know that many of you do, do not carry uh, uh, Bibles、um, to to church. There are at the back. I had to get one myself,、um, but that's okay. They, they are at the back. So if you can pick up a Bible and open up to chapter、uh, two of Acts, that would be great as we go through this text. But let's pray that God will speak to us through it. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks once again for、um, our salvation, and we pray that as we meditate on the great news that we have received,、uh, that our lives would be transformed in such a way、um, that would reach others. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We're ending this series with、uh, on evangelism,、uh, thinking a little bit about what it means to do evangelism as a church together. But as we start, let me ask you the question: Why do you come to church? Why have you come today? Well, I've unleashed the power of the internet in this past week and put it on our Facebook, on our church Facebook, and on my personal Facebook, and asked this question. And these are some of the answers people have said. We come to meet with God, to focus on God one day a week entirely on God. Uh, we come as an act of obedience to God,、uh, to spend with other Christians,、uh, to be surrounded by others with same passion and same vision, to worship God, to learn from God's word. These are all the reasons that、um, people have said, and this is one of my personal favorite. And one person said, "I come for coffee and cookies after the service." And the guy who said this is quite a big guy, and I, my, my advice to him was that it was probably a bad reason for him to come to church for that reason. But there, these I want to say are all biblical reasons to come. Maybe except the cookies and the things. But these are all biblical reasons to come, and they're good reasons to come. But did you see how most of these reasons that we've mentioned are about me and God, us and God? It is most.、Uh, it was mostly about us and our relationship with God, being close to God, being fed by God,、uh, to listen、um, from God's word. And I'm not saying that these are bad. Of course, they're not, because they are biblical reasons to come.、Uh, and the church exists partly for us, for ourselves. There are enough biblical commands here to take care of one another, to love one another, to encourage one another, to bear、uh, one another's burdens. These are good reasons to come to church. But it cannot be the end of it. Because that is not what God's design for the church has been, and it has never been that way. It was for us, but it was always larger than ourselves. It was always for others as well. We're not saved only for ourselves, but for others. And this is、uh, one of the things that Archbishop William Temple had pointed out.、Uh, he's he once wrote, "The church exists 
Um, the, the church is the only cooperative society in, in the world which exists for the benefit of its non-members. Of course, this is an exaggeration. This is not entirely true. But he captures something that is true about the church, that we have come, we exist. God has gathered us as a people, not just for ourselves, but for the unbelieving world that is out there. For they could be reached. The church exists for others. And this has always been the case throughout the Bible. So we're going to do a little bit of biblical theology uh, and talk a little bit about how the church was uh, put, uh, 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 put forward uh, in the Bible. Take a look at how Abraham was called. Uh, Abraham, uh, Genesis 1 through 11 is about sort of curses and how things go bad. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham. God elects Abraham. But then uh, when God elects Abraham, his mission was greater than sort of Abraham himself. And remember the last part of God's promise to Abraham in chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham was called so that all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through him. When God delivers Israel out of Egypt, it wasn't just so that, it wasn't just as a response to the suffering and the call of uh, Israelites in, in slavery in Egypt. Yes, God hears the prayers of God's people and God delivers, but then that, the, the reason for that was larger than Israel himself. Exodus 9, 16, but I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show my power and that my, my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The, the, the scope of the salvation wasn't just for Israel. It was for all the earth, so that all the earth might see God's power and be saved through it. Giving of the law was that way as well. Israelites were privileged to be given God's word, to be shaped by God's word. Um, that, that reflects his character. But that wasn't for Israelites only. Deuteronomy chapter 28, 9 through 10. Yahweh will establish you as a holy people, as, a, as he promised you on, on oath. If you keep the commands of Yahweh, your God, and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by my name, Yah, name of Yahweh, and they will, um, and they will fear you. You heard that. It's as they, as they obey uh, God's law, and as a people, as they reflect God's character together, he says that all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by my name, and they will come to know Yahweh God as we obey God's word, God's law. But as you know, the story doesn't end happily in the Old Testament. Sadly, again and again, the Israelites fall again and again to the temptations and to the sins, and rather than bringing a blessing to the nations, in fact, they bring a curse not only for others but upon themselves. So God has to raise up prophets to tell them that actually God will judge them. But even as God will scatter the Israelites all over the world, at the same time, the prophets look forward to a time when Israel will finally realize their calling. This is Isaiah, Isaiah 49, 6. Uh, this will, when he um, uh, prophesies for a time when the Israelites will become a light for the nations, that his salvation may reach the ends of the earth. So even as they are judged, God sends prophets and saying, actually, you will eventually become a blessing for all people. And you see, for over a thousand years, people 
of God experienced their own salvation, but they couldn't reach others. They couldn't fulfill their own purpose for their existence. They failed to be a blessing for others. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus comes and deals with the biggest problem, our sin. The biggest problem of fallenness of our hearts. He removes our sin and makes it possible for us to receive the Holy Spirit so that transformation of heart could be possible, that we could be changed from inside out, that uh, through him, uh, through grace alone, people of the, all the earth will be blessed. And that is what we see in our reading in Acts 2. That's the context of Acts 2. For the first time in history, God's people start to bless other people who are outside of the church. And that's the thing about the language. They start speaking in other languages to say, actually, this isn't just for Israelites. This is for, the gospel is for all nations, people of all the earth. People start coming into the church. And the rest of Acts, chapter, uh, rest of Acts uh, speaks about how the gospel goes from Israel to the ends of the nations. This is what happens when Luke writes in uh, chapter 2, verse 47, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church is finally fulfilling its mission of existing not just for themselves, but for being other, for, be, uh, for being uh, for others. Um, is that how you understand your salvation? Is that how you understand the church? As we come to church, as we think about the existence for this meeting, we have to start understanding ourselves differently. It isn't, we aren't here just for ourselves. We aren't here just to meet God. We are here so that we would meet God so others might know God. As we worship God, that others might hear our praise and know that there is a God. As we pray to God, uh, that, that, that others might know that there is a God to whom they, they, can, they can pray to. The church is essentially missionary. We exist not just for ourselves, but for the unbelieving world around us. Now, if we understand ourselves in this way, we have to make changes in the way that we do church. And as I was thinking about this, I repented in many different ways because I think we, um, in my I've been here for five years, and in my five years, I don't think we've done this uh, very well. So if you have other ideas uh, than the ones that I, I will mention now, please do come and talk to me. I'd love to hear your ideas about how we can be more for other people, people who don't yet know Christ. But we have to make changes about how we do church. And there are many ways of doing this, I think. For those of us who have the privilege of preaching or leading the service or praying or reading, leading music or anything from the front, I think this means actually we have to make space for other people, people who are new to church, people who don't yet know Christ, who might be amongst, uh, uh, amongst us today. And if you are one of these people, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are here for you. For example, it might mean that explaining words that non-Christians might not be familiar with. I mean, if we say things like justification or even sin, some people might not understand what sin actually might mean. Why do we do Apostles' Creed? Why do we confess our sins? Why do we pass peace? You know, I don't know if you've ever been uh, to a betting booth or something like that. You know, I, was, I went to McDonald's this morning, and I passed by the jockey club, uh, the, the, the betting thing. I, was, I looked in, and I thought, I wouldn't know what to do if I entered that room. Where do I go? Why is there a guard outside? I had a coffee in my hand, and I thought, could I bring coffee into, the, into this, uh, this room? Will they will say something? But, you know, for a lot of people who are visiting the church for the first time, they feel like that. This is a completely alien environment for them. We must make everything. Um, we 
must uh, do everything possible to make them feel welcome, to explain to them what's going on in the church, why we do the things that we do, because we don't just come, uh, we don't just come together to worship God by ourselves. We come as we worship God so that we might be seen uh, by others and they might come to know God themselves. It also means that we have to do more things like the guest Sundays or guest events. Um, and I'm sorry I've failed at this. Uh, in a couple months back, uh, a member of the church asked me, when will be the, uh, uh, when would be the next Friendship Sunday? And I thought, yes, we should do a Friendship Sunday. Even as I was planning this series on evangelism, um, I hadn't thought to plan one. And I'm sorry uh, that that has been the case. And with the uh, help of Niels, who's coming in July, uh, we, I, I promise to plan more things like this. In fact, next week is our Friendship Sunday um, that we have planned. There will be a special testimony. There will be a, a, a sermon uh, that's uh, catered for them, a shorter sermon catered for them, uh, questions and answer sessions and food and all these things. So, so do bring them along next week. And we also... Um, are in the process of thinking about uh, how to do welcoming better. People who are new to the church, how to identify them, how to identify whether they are churchgoers or not non-churchgoers, how to follow up with them. Uh, Andy Hutton is leading a committee of people who's thinking through these issues. If you have ideas, please come to Andy. Uh, contribute your ideas. If you want to be part of that team, please, we would love to have you on the team and think uh, things through uh, with us. So uh, please contact Andy. But welcoming can't be delegated to just a committee of people, to just a a group of people. It has to be our attitude as a church together. Too often I hear comments about how friendly we are, how smiley we are, how welcoming we are, but often actually that friendliness ends there. Too often I see newcomers standing alone downstairs in their coffee, with their coffee. Um, This has to change. So as you come... Once again, come to welcome others. Come with the eye of, is there anybody new in the church? If they're non-Christian, sit next to them. Explain to them what's going on. Um, Give them your phone number so they can follow up with you. They can ask you questions and welcome them yourself. We need uh, our welcoming to be more than filling out the welcome form. And we need to equip ourselves to welcome others. And we need to come with that attitude to church each week. When we started this series a few weeks back in the 9.30 service, we found that only one person, it was about 200 people there on that Sunday, 200 people, only one person had become a Christian in this church in the last five years. And we have been too inwardly focused, but this will change in the coming months and years. We'll not only equip, equip you to live your Christian lives, to be closer to God, to know God's word and apply it to your lives better, but also we will equip you in the month's time um, to, uh, to reach others. We will do more training for evangelism um, in the coming months. And if you, um, are, uh, if you want to get started on this on your own, um, there is a book, um, We've ordered a whole bunch of copies of this book called Honest Evangelism by Rico Tice. If you want to get started on your own, do pick up a copy at the back in our bookstore. This will help you. And do come and look forward, look for, look for evangelism training events in the coming months. But 
So we come, we will come to church, and we will try to equip you uh, to reach others. But the way that we become most effective as a church in evangelism is by becoming a community that is attractive to others. So as we reach others, and as you invite people to say, come to our church, as they come, they will, we will become, we'll have become a community that is attractive to them. The church evangelizes by becoming what it should be. We must do evangelism by ourselves, of course. You know, a few weeks back, three weeks back, I think, um, when I preached, uh, we uh, went to Acts 17, where, where Paul preached uh, this sermon to a big group of people. He goes and does cold call evangelism in the marketplace, um, and he preaches at lecture halls of Athens. Uh, a couple weeks back, you heard from Charles, uh, uh, the story of one-to-one evangelism and how the eunuch who was uh, going somewhere, uh, Philip, uh, goes next to him, opens up the Bible and explains what he's reading. That needs to happen as well. We need to get, along, get alongside of people and read the Bible with them and explain the scripture to them. And the, the word of God will uh, be, be, be a witness to them. We need to do that sort of ministry. Uh, and last week, you heard from um, Reese about uh, the women at the, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, how she was so transformed, um, her, her life was so transformed, and she goes out and starts telling people about whom um, she had met. And that, all of that needs to happen. But we can also do evangelism together as a church. Rico says in this book, here, it's not only the individual Christian believer who is, uh, who is to let their light shine, a narrow beam of torchlight into the world. Each local church is to be a lighthouse, a great wide beam of gospel light illuminating the surrounding darkness. We are torchlights, and we carry this light around to, to others, to our uh, family and to our uh, friends and uh, schools and, and uh, in our workplaces. But as we come together, this church has to become a lighthouse for the world. We need to shine together as a big beam of light in this darkness. And when we shine our collective light together, then we are making God visible in a massive way. John Stott uh, points out in his book, Living Church, in the section on evangelism, he says that invisibility of God was always a big problem for the ancient world. If you think about it, uh, the Jewish people weren't allowed to make any images of God. So they had nothing to point to and say, here is our God. Whereas they were surrounded by a pagan world that had all sorts of images of their God. So they would say, here is our God, where is yours? But we have the same problem here today. Uh, when people believe in, in, in scientific age, people say, you know, where is your God? If I can only see your God, then I would believe in him. Of course, the gospel, the God became visible in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. This is how John starts his gospel, John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and his closest relationship with the Father has made himself known. No one has ever seen God, but God has made himself known in Jesus Christ, John 1.18. God became visible, but the problem still exists, right? That was 2,000 years ago, and people are still asking, where is your God? How can we see your God? But John writes a letter 
to all the churches, and this is what he writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. He starts out the same way. He says, no one has ever seen God. But then he continues, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, God who was once invisible, as we become the church, as we are transformed by God and become a people of love, God is made visible through this church. As people see what we are doing in Shatin Church, people will say, God is alive. God is there in that community. And they will come to know God through our love for each other. God is made visible in the church. But this is, uh, it raises another question. How do we become this sort of loving people? Well, it's not by telling each other, you should be more loving, is it? Because that, that, we know that, that that doesn't work. But Acts, once we go back to Acts chapter 2, it outlines a way. It says, as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they devoted themselves to these things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which for us is the Bible, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we need to devote ourselves to these things as well. We need to devote ourselves to learning God's word together. You know, I've done one-to-ones and things like that, and the conclusion that I've arrived is actually, if I teach people uh, how to read the Bible, or if we teach people about other things, they have an effect, but it doesn't have the same effect of actually reading the Bible with another person. As we open up the Bible and apply it to ourselves and to other uh, other people, it changes us. God's Word is powerful. We need to be learners of God's word. We need to teach uh, others, uh, teach each other God's word together. In our hectic and busy wor- world, we also must devote ourselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to loving one another. We are transformed into uh, this sort of church also by worshiping God, to breaking of bread um, and to prayer, it says. This is what we do here in communion. We remember what God has done for us. We're transformed to be a loving people when we remember what God has done for us. When we remember and when we pray uh, to him. When we become what we ought to be by doing these things, we will become this loving community. And when we devote ourselves to these things, we will make God visible into the world. You know, uh, that some of the people in our church will go in a couple weeks' time to Thailand in bamboo uh, school in Bongti, Thailand. I had the privilege of going last year uh, with the team, and this is what everybody saw, I think. Um, I think everybody will say this. We saw there a woman who was touched by God, uh, a, a woman who went to middle of nowhere in Bongti uh, to start an orphanage with $2 in her pocket. We saw a woman who was devoted to learning God's word, uh, to worshiping God, and to loving others. And as she started to do that, a community gathered around, right? The orphanage happened. And as you see, if you've been, you'll see that the orphans themselves, they have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They are a community that's devoted to the Bible, to loving one another, in worshiping God. And in that community, there's no other, uh, 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 the, the, the Bongti, that area is filled with idols, all sorts of idols there. But that community sees God 
in that community, right? The, the whole Bongti uh, community sees God being worshipped and being taught, and, and, and they see God made visible there in that community. And that doesn't have to be in Bongti. That can be here. As we come together to devote ourselves to the Bible, to fellowship, um, uh, uh, to, to, to each other, to remembering what God has done for, for us, we will continue to be transformed into a loving community, and we will make God visible in this world. So why do you go to church? Why, do you, why have you come? We have to understand that it is not just for ourselves, but it is for others. What we do here is important because we partly are making God visible here in Shatin and Hong Kong. We have to understand that and live that vision according to, accordingly. And when we do that, I have no doubt, as he did 2,000 years ago, that the Lord will add to our number daily those who are being saved. Let's pray. Lord, we pray a prayer of confession that we have been such uh, consumers of your salvation, that we have come to receive for ourselves, that we have come um, because of our concerns, because we want to be nearer to you, because we want to be encouraged uh, by others. And we confess that uh, such little part of ourselves um, have been about others, people who don't yet know you. And we pray that you will, as we realize what it means to be your church together, that you would transform our mindset, that we would worship you, not just for ourselves, but for others. We would pray to you. We would remember our salvation, not just for ourselves, but for others. That we would devote ourselves to fellowship and to loving, being a loving community, not just for ourselves, but for others. To be a witness in Shatin, to be a witness in Hong Kong, so that people around us might see that there is a God in, in Shatin Church, that there is God who's living and active, who's transforming in uh, our lives in a powerful way. And we pray that as we devote ourselves to these things, that you would continue the work of transforming ourselves. And we pray that we would, we would reach many, many people um, in the coming months and years, uh, that many, many people would come to know this living God that we know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.